to Enterprise. Lock on transporters. Beam is up. Scotty. If everything goes according to plan, don't beam us up. Beam me up. Energize. A podcast where we rewatch all of Star Trek in chronological order. I'm Andrea, and Ocean is wearing a Luna Lovegood uh, pair of glasses that is not a glass. Uh, is it Luna Lovegood? Yeah. That's literally Luna Lovegood's glasses to look at the little creatures. Oh, they're her glasses. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself, or do you think that is good enough introduction? It's episode 12, if they don't know who I am. Where have they been? Yeah, exactly. So today we're discussing the 12th episode, Dear Doctor. And it's the 12th episode, and it's Dear Doctor. And the 12th Doctor is my favorite. So like... I mean, technically it's the 13th amazing. episode, but... We are not getting into <laughs> it. Okay. No. <clears throat> In this episode, Enterprise assists a culture that has been stricken by a planet-wide plague so also what are your thoughts on this episode so i didn't love the episode but it mm -hmm. this is my favorite episode so far make it make sense <laughs> and i want that silence to be there <laughs> that was my brain catching up to what you said make it make sense i just really like this episode because I like the structure of it being a letter to someone else by Flox. Obviously, I like Flox, so we get a Flox episode. I like that we get a glimpse into the mundanity of life on the Enterprise. And I think the moral and philosophical question at the end of the episode is a really interesting one. And it's dealt with very well and efficiently. They don't stretch out the debate longer than is necessary. Yeah, no unnecessary drama. Yeah, this is a solution. There's a bit of pushback from Archer, which I get, but it's not, he's not overly self-righteous. And at the end of the day, he comes round and the way in which he expresses that is really smartly and succinctly done. Okay. But you still didn't love it. No, I didn't love it, but... I think it's not like my favorite episode of Star Trek ever. No. But no, it's definitely my favorite episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. <laughs> Is this going to be one of our best episodes? Are we going to have, a, have to have a debate here? No, no, because I don't think it's a bad episode. Okay. It's just the wording that threw me off. Oh, I, I don't love this episode, but it's my favorite. It's like, you usually tend to love your favorite thing. No, because it's my favorite in terms of I think it's the best episode of Star Trek Enterprise we've encountered so far. And so if I was to pick a favorite of the Star Trek Enterprises we've watched, this would be it. But it's a pretty low bar in terms of episodes that I've liked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I liked it. I think it raises interesting moral points that if they hadn't been raised 
in the episode we would have been racing them now. So I think that they did a good job with that, uh, as you said. Obviously it's different to be a captain than it is to be a doctor and the moral compass and the way in which they both act comes from different places. I'm sure it was very hard for Flux to come to the decision to not do the best that he could, that he knew he could. But at the same time, I understand that that is not only his own personal morals making that decision for him, but it's also arguably the best decision for also the race, the alien race that they were trying to help. So the Valakians, Valakians, and the Melk. Let us not forget the milk. Mink, I think. <gasps> you know what? The first note was Cutler is back. Yes. And I just, it threw me back to the episode with her and me struggling to say her name. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I have Cutler written down, so I'm not going to mess up her name. So I just messed up the alien <laughs> the alien races name yeah that's fair enough i have a question about cutler okay because in the episode previously with her i definitely remember asking or commenting oh i wonder if you'll see her again and you said i don't remember and i wanted to know did you actually not remember or were you just being no, coy I, don't, I didn't remember <laughs> It's great to do stuff like this with me because most of the time I don't remember. I, I'm not going to spoil it for you, not because I don't want to spoil it, but because I don't fucking remember. Yeah. Like, probably if I had thought about it, I would have remembered. Because when this episode started, I knew what it was going to be about. But honestly, I don't know. So if any of our listeners have been wondering to themselves, how could she possibly have watched this show three times how is she watching it again for the fourth time this is how <laughs> yeah like when i say i forget things i don't think people understand fully how much i forget things i don't understand yeah no i remember i remember the names of every bully i've had since primary school but i don't remember her being on the show before <laughs> <laughs> if you cause me trauma i'll remember you yeah okay but yeah, it was good to see her back. I think that storyline is probably the storyline I liked least about this episode. And it would be the one thing I would be happy for them to take out of the episode. Yeah, um, it's weird because it comes out of nowhere. I just think that if we would have been introduced to their relationship or friendship in previous episodes, it would have been more natural in this episode for her to catch feelings or yeah. feel attracted to him. And him having that question of, is she interested in me or what is this? But it's something that Star Trek does that they just introduce an idea suddenly with no anticipation, like last week's episode with Trip's girlfriend yeah, out of the blue with no previous mention of her. So yeah, I think that's why it's kind of weird to have Cutler suddenly interested because as we mentioned before in her episode, she was flirting with T'Pol. Well, that was how we chose to interpret it. Yeah, because she was. <laughs> okay. That's how lesbians flirt. <laughs> okay. That's how it works. I'll take your word for that. So, yeah. So, if you're a woman lo loving woman, if you're a, a, an AFAB interested in another AFAB, 
that's how you flirt. You're like, oh, I love that hair clip. That's how you flirt. You're not like, you're beautiful. Let me take you out. No, that's not. That is very aggressive, okay? So now she's flirting with flocks, which great for her, bisexual representation. I love that. But it's so out of the blue. Yeah, it's out of the blue. And as you said, Star Trek does this. They introduce these things out of the blue, but also they never bring them back out of the blue. I would not be surprised yeah. if this never comes up again. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that struck me, one of the things that did not didn't sit well with me, but I was, I assumed there was a big age difference between them because Flox has a mature look to him. The actor who plays him has a mature look and she looks quite young. But I looked it up and there's actually only seven years between them, which isn't that bad. But also, it, it turns out that the actress who plays Cutler has since passed away. And I was oh, surprised no. because she's quite young. She was only born in 67. So, yeah, she she died quite young as well. She only died in 2003. Wow, that's so soon after this. She was really, really young. Kelly Waymire was her name, by the way. Kelly Waymire. R.I.P. Yeah. But she was a good actress and it wasn't anything to do with either performance that I didn't like. It was just, as you say, it just came out of nowhere and was very random. And even the conclusion to it was a bit weird. Obviously not judging him or his culture for having three wives, but she kind of openly admits to flirting and she's accepting of his culture and is like, that doesn't bother me. And then, like, let's just see where it goes, which is a very ambiguous place to leave something like that. And I feel like that would be even more confusing for him. Yeah, I feel like maybe what she wanted was just to have fun. Yeah. And at the mention of his wives, she's like, oh, these people don't just have fun. Maybe they date to marry. And that's why she would be like, okay, so let's see. Let's see how it goes. Do you think maybe she is someone that T'Pol could have been talking about? When Flox asked T'Pol for advice, she says, In my experience, humans lack the emotional maturity for interspecies relationships. They tend to be easily infatuated with things they find new. This crewman may simply be satisfying her curiosity at your expense. Yeah. Do you think Cutler could have been maybe doing that? If she was, I don't think that was the only reason. She's obviously a good person. I don't think she has a list of alien names and she's trying to tick off <laughs> one of each species yeah. that she's bedded. Okay. So I think there there must have been some kind of attraction to Flox as a person, as a person, as an alien, <laughs> as, a, as an individual. Mm -hmm. But sure, like, I would be interested in knowing how other alien species reproduce and how they look under the clothes. Because he's similar enough physically, his face is similar enough. We don't know what they look like underneath the clothes. I'm not a scientist, but like, scientifically, I would be curious to know how that works. Yeah. And what pleasure they experience. With Vulcans, for example, we know that their hands are very sensitive. Their hands? Yeah. I did not know that. I knew their noses were sensitive. <laughs> well, they're they're sensitive to smells, but their hands are sensitive to pleasure. Okay. That hasn't been introduced yet in Enterprise. Not in this show. 
So yeah, you, I would be interested in knowing another species' way of connecting. So I don't blame Cutler for wanting to know more about the species in general, but I do think that maybe Tapol is a little bit skeptical of the motives that would lead someone to feel attracted to another person. It's, like, it's just like, imagine if I was like, oh, I only feel attraction to this nationality because I want to know how they behave. That would be kind of weird. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, everybody can do everything. And obviously it's not the same degree because this the physiognomy is the same. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a little bit skeptical from her. As Flux says, pragmatic. Yeah, I think so. And like you, I mean, I think... I'd be curious as well. And we've seen Flux be curious before when, I mean, they made a bit of a joke out of it, but it was a genuine curiosity when he asked Trip, do you think that couple over there would let me watch them reproduce? He's approaching it from a yeah. very scientific thing. And I don't think the, the writers deliberately put that to ball thing in to set up why Cutler or to actually insinuate that that's what Cutler's motives were. I think it's far more likely that they were probably setting to Paul up to maybe eat her own words in future we don't know yeah yeah um i forgot yeah you've forgotten of course <laughs> but yeah i really enjoyed the first 20 15 minutes of this episode where it was just as i said flox doing his day-to-day -day stuff i enjoyed the clips we got of him just doing his medical work on the ship going down to engineering and helping that guy calling Archer out on feeding Porthos cheese. I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I know. I knew you would. I enjoyed that they go to see a movie and I liked that Flox is that's new to him and he's more interested in the humans experiencing it. And it was another case of in a previous episode Paul explained to another Vulcan that humans have a habit of telling random strangers about each other. And again this episode took a very normal human interaction of going to the cinema and pointed out how strange it was. Because it is weird to just go and watch these fictional stories of fictional people and become emotionally attached to them. But it's what we do. Yeah. I guess seen from the outside, it is odd that you can be in a room full of people you hate enjoying the same movie. Yeah. Um, and I liked as well that we got... That we get that because in later Star Trek, we don't really, not that we don't see the crew in their downtime, but we don't see them enjoy movies or pop culture. Entertainment in future Star Trek series is very different to what it is, whereas obviously this is set in 2150 or something. So it's slightly closer to, to our time period. Yeah. So regarding the cinema experience... One of my notes is definitely not enough trip, but he was crying during the movie. And that was very funny, how he was like... Now you're going. And you're going well and fast and far and good to America. Uh, some am I. Uh, yeah. So that yeah. makes up for the lack of trip in this episode for me. I figured it would. I said, okay, we're not getting enough trip, but the trip we do get to see is an emotional trip. And I knew that Andrea would appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> you know, we, yes. we we don't get to see enough of him, but we get to see his soft side, which we haven't really got to see yet. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was curious as to what movie they were watching. It took me a while to find out, and it is For Whom the Bell Tolls from 1943. Presumably, they chose an old movie. They probably just had the rights. It was probably the cheapest movie to show an old yeah. movie. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to show a yeah. 2001 movie, a current movie. But yeah. Just imagine them watching Spider-Man mm. or The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, they would. If I was on Enterprise a hundred years from now, I wouldn't want to be watching a 1940 movie. I would be like, Avengers Marathon. <laughs> We're going to watch the whole MCU. It's going to take us 3,000 years. Yeah. And I don't think they could have shown them watching a sci-fi movie. That would just be too meta. Again, we mentioned it last week that they must have had sci-fi at some point. Yeah. So another thing that I wanted to talk about was regarding Cutler and Flox's relationship or beginning of. Hoshi is the matchmaker. Mm. She's like, give it a try, babes. Yeah. Come on, bestie. So we didn't get enough trip for my taste, but we got Hoshi, which is, I was going to say better. I think it's better. Yeah, because in this context, it makes more sense. I like that she's not only there for like a matchmaking purpose, but also like working. Yeah. <laughs> she has a purpose. Her job has a purpose and she's given it. And I love Hoshi. We are Hoshi stands yep. on this podcast. I just wanted to mention her because she deserves a mention. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you want to say anything about her, but like I, I, di I did want to bring her up. I'm always happy to see Hoshi. Great. And I, th I enjoyed I enjoyed that scene that had comic bits with the translation, so that was good. And I'm trying to think. We, I think this may be the first episode where we don't have an opportunity to give out about Reed. I don't think he is in this episode. Wow. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Reed, uh, Reed part is over. Next Maybe that's one of the reasons why it's also one of my favorites. Because I just... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now it makes sense. Subconsciously. Oh, shit. There's no read. But yeah. And then we... Do, okay. So we do get to this planet then. Where we have this moral conundrum. It's not introduced for a while. But I wanted to know how you felt about that. Not necessarily just the sickness. But in general, the planet. How it was introduced. Okay. So I think it makes sense the way that they found... A way to find help. So basically, I guess if COVID-19 would have been worse and we had the capabilities to send people to space, I think maybe we would have done that to find a cure. Like if we had the capabilities to send people to space like long term, this would be in the future. Maybe, you know? yeah. Like okay. not, <laughs> not two, two years ago, yeah. <laughs> not three years ago. I don't see it too far-fetched that desperation took them to literally launching themselves into space. I think that this episode being in the perspective of someone other than a human was very smart. Because obviously our first reaction is, let's go help and let's do everything in our power to help you. And I think it's very smart that Flux was there to be like, you don't know these people and you're dedicating a lot of time and resources to help them just out of compassion and your nature. And that is great. That's a great perspective to have because if the narrator this time had been Archer, 
doing a star log, I don't think he would have been like, out of compassion, we went <laughs> to help these people. It would have been more like, it's the right thing to do. And I don't know if it's the right thing to do, which is the point of the episode. Because you're trying to stop... And Archer says this, that their mission is not to be gods out there, but to explore and meet new people. So I don't know if the right thing to do would have been to cure their their health. Obviously, it's tragic that you know that in a couple centuries they're not going to be there anymore. And the Menk will probably rise up to be the main humanoid species on the planet. I also had trouble... Not trouble. Yeah, like moral trouble with the... Basically, I agreed with Cutler and Hoshi that the way that they treated the Menk was not right because you're just assuming that the whole species is not intelligent enough when they are it's just that maybe they haven't been given the, the same opportunities as you yeah <coughs> human history <coughs> interesting that the the two women were the most compassionate yeah maybe, i don't what well, i would think wonder what it's coincidence like i don't i don't know <laughs> But yeah, so I obviously had a problem with that, but it was addressed in the episode and it was made a problem in the episode. And I ultimately agree with Blocks that it's not like the same thing to help us with COVID, which is a virus and you can just kill the virus and that's it. Rather than a genetically transmitted disease that has come from a thousand years ago. I think that their fate was sealed a long time ago. And you coming in and fixing their genomes would change the course of history in a way that you don't have the power to do. Yeah. So I'm saying this now, but if I was Archer or anyone on the team, I would have probably fought back as well because it's basically genocide, right? Letting them die. Yeah. I mean, it's not genocide because you're not killing them. They're already dying, but you're not trying to help them survive. But yeah, I ultimately agree with Blocks. Yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I also ultimately agree with Blocks. I thought it was a really well-constructed problem because they gave themselves a, a solution of where one race is dying, but there's another humanoid race that's going to evolve further and prosper, and they will benefit from Basically, this. live long and prosper, right? Yeah, they will be <laughs> exactly yeah, <laughs> um, but they will prosper unfortunately from this other race's extinction. But at the same time, if they had continued evolving and they had given the Valakians the cure, the chances of the Valakians allowing this other race to evolve and rise to equal status is very unlikely. So, yeah, it was a neat. It was all neatly tied up in a bow. Yeah, but. I so it was basically the decision was to choose one over the other. Yeah. So which one do you want to see prosper? The Valakians or the Menk? Yeah. Because they were not going to be able to coexist peacefully long term. And I think the point that Blocks brings up about us, the Homo sapiens and the Neanderthals, it's really valid. Yeah. What if someone came in here and saved the Neanderthals from extinction? And what what would have happened with us? Yeah. Would we be here? Would we coexist peacefully? Would we not? Would we have died over their existence? Those are things that 
you have to consider when meddling with the society, basically. It was a really good comparison. And you said there it was like asking us to choose. And Archer raised that point as well. And I think it was really done well and written well that Fox pointed out, no, I'm saying you don't, it's not your choice. Evolution has already chosen. Exactly. You think you have to choose, but actually you're taking that choice upon yourself. You're saying you have to choose, but that's not your choice to make. No, the choice has already been made. Archer is almost taking the choice upon himself. And that's why I liked the ending where he's like... Someday, my people are going to come up with some sort of a doctrine. Something that tells us what we can and can't do out here. Should and shouldn't do. But until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive, I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play God. Because he would be going to this situation and saying, oh, well, I can make this choice. But you don't have to. You can just back away, hands up, and that's what they do. And it's hard, but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, me too. Because it would it would not be to choose so much as to change a decision that has been made already by nature. So you would be reverting the choice already made. Exactly. This is a very Harry Potter-heavy episode for some reason, coincidentally. But I don't know if you made the connection. The Menk reminded me a lot of the house elves because they're in this very subservient role to the Valachians, but they're happy in that role. Or we're led to believe that they're content in the role. They're not uprising. They're not looking for better. Even though they know the Valachians are not treating them well and they're giving them the poor land that they can't grow on, in what we see of them, there's no discontent or unhappiness with that or sense of any revolution. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all. Like, I have thought of the, obviously, the perspective of them being passive against the other race. Hmm. But I hadn't made the connection to the elves. Yeah, and you have Hoshi, someone else, coming in and saying, well, this is wrong. And from from their perspective, it is wrong. And that household is a whole other episode that we could do on that debate. But the similarities are there. So what you're saying is Hoshi's Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a question though. I have a question. Because what I was getting at was when I said it was all kind of neatly tied up. If, let's say, they'd come to this planet and there was no Menk. Let's say it was just the Valachians. But this was still a genetic disorder. Evolution was still taking its course. I think that's a very different episode and a very different discussion. Because there isn't going to be a new species to take their place. But at the same time, if you compare, let's say, Valachians to humans, Valachians have surely had the exact same impact on their planet as humans have had. Their dominance will have affected other species and ecosystems. Do you think that they would have had the same discussion or come to the same conclusion that it's actually okay to let evolution take its course? Or do you think there's a greater argument to be made for intervening in that case. I think, me personally, I think the same conclusion should have been reached. But I think that if that was an episode of Star Trek, they would have saved them. Yeah. Because 
again, it's a genetic disease, which means that it's evolution. Mm. It's not a matter of they drank the wrong water or they ate raw meat. It's a matter of their species is doomed by nature. Yeah. And you're coming here to basically undo what nature has done. So I don't think it's different just because there is another species to take their place. Because at the end of the day, they're going to die in 100 or 200 years. It's not like they were about to die now, right? So the Menk are going to still be enslaved, quote-unquote, for another couple hundred years. Unless they evolve a little more and then they become less passive and more aggressive and try to claim a place. But just because the Menk aren't there, I don't think that changes the origin of the problem, which is nature has decided. No, made a choice. but it changes the solution. So the solution here is that, okay, but there's going to be another humanoid species to take their place, if you will. Whereas in the other solution, it's, oh, well, these other species are going to prosper, but they're not, they're not humanoid and they're not sentient in the same, well, they're sentient, but they're not conscious well, I... in the same way. So I think it's a very... That's what I was going to say. Yeah, sorry. I corrected <laughs> my myself. my cat is sentient. Yeah, no, they are they are very, very sentient, <laughs> but they don't have the same level of uh, consciousness or self-awareness. And obviously, humanoids and humans, we have a tendency, be it right or wrong, to view beings that are not on the same consciousness as lower and less equal. So in this situation, like if you were to say he was a choice between two humanoid races, which in a way is actually harder, but if he had taken that same view of a choice between humanoids and basically just nature. But I don't, again, the, the choice has already been made. You don't know what will happen in a couple thousands of years. Maybe another species shows up. No, of course. And I agree that I would come to the same conclusion. Like I pers- that's why I said, personally, I would not change my opinion but i do think that if it was a star trek episode they would have changed the outcome and they would have healed them because i think that the issue here was that they had another it's like oh we're letting them die but it's fine the planet is not going to be uninhabited there's other people that are going to inhabit it and in your example it would be like wasting a planet yeah like oh the humans are gone so the planet the planet is going to thrive. That's fine. So humans are going to die at some point. We're going to scorch the earth and we're going to die. And I don't think anyone coming here and being like, we're going to fix the damages of climate change tomorrow. I don't think that would do anything good for the planet because we're just going to get back to it again. However, if we died, imagine if global warming tomorrow got all crazy and we died. All of us. Massive extinction. Just give us a hundred thousand years and there will be another species going around and finding old buildings. The planet is still going to thrive. So it's just a matter of is it going to thrive because of humans or humanoids or sentient beings? Or is it going to thrive on itself? And then it's less interesting, less interesting, quote unquote, to let people die. So basically, this is me saying, aliens, if you're out there listening and you come here to try to stop global warming, don't let us die. We caused this problem. Yeah. On behalf we of made humanity, it. we're signing a do not resuscitate order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, like, do not resuscitate, do not try to save us. We're not worth the pain. Um, 
in my opinion, it's the same thing. In Star Trek's opinion, I doubt it. I'm sure that they would have given them the cure. Yeah. Um, going back in the episode to when they first encountered the Valakian shuttle, and it's clear that the Valakians are not, they're pre-warp, so they have space travel, but they don't have warp technology. And as we know, it is against Vulcan protocol anyway to intervene or interfere. And they conveniently give themselves this get-out-of-jail-free card that, oh, actually, the Valakians have encountered people with warp technology before, so we're in the clear. But do you agree with Paul that in this instance it's okay to interfere? Sorry, they actually have that conversation after they've taken the Valakians already on board. Archer doesn't go to Paul and say, this spaceship is clearly pre-warp. Do you think we should intervene and take them on board? Do you think she would have said no? Or do you think... I think she said it, right? When they find when they found the ship for the first time, she's like, "This is a pre-warp ship." Yeah, you watched it more recently than I have, so you remember. My memory is that after the Vakians are brought on board, we see to Paul, and she says, "Oh well, given that they've already had encounters with civilizations of war technology, I think it's okay to intervene." But I don't, I don't recall a conversation before bringing them aboard. What I think I remember is that they encounter the ship, they scan, there are two biosounds that are very weak, they bring them on board, and that's when they talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, so actually we are pre-warp, but we've met warp people before. If that is the case, then sure. Like, if you already know about it, it wasn't as contaminating your culture, sure, fuck it. If not, if I'm mistaken and I'm remembering incorrectly, then why are you bringing them on board? Hypothetically, let's say this pre-warp civilization hadn't encountered a civilization with warp technology or we didn't know. Do you think that Enterprise would have been right to save them or intervene? So if they would have been post-warp? No, if they're pre-warp. So this civilization is pre-warp. And they give themselves the get out of jail that they have actually encountered civilizations with warp. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So if they were pre-warp, but they didn't know anything about warp. Yeah, in terms of T'Pol's protocol, this civilization is on the same level as the planet from civilization because they're still pre-warp. Do you think that they would have intervened to save these astronauts? Or do you think, no, no just let them die? Yep. <laughs> I agree. I agree because you don't know how. At least that's what Tepal would have argued. Yeah, but but like Earth's space travel have been massively affected by the catastrophic disasters and loss of life that has sometimes occurred, and so you don't know if by intervening and saving them and send them back that would have knock-on effects. Whereas if they died, maybe that civilization would just give up on space travel and be like, okay, that's not worth it, because they don't even know about the illness at that point. I think T'Pol would have argued against helping them. Yeah. The same way she did for civilization. On a lighter note, on a more nitpicky note, the Vlachians are brought on board and they wake up and they do all the translation, they're talking, and then he says, oh, there's a sickness on our planet. And Flock says, yes, I detected the sickness. And no one on Enterprise is questioning him and saying... Wait, you, you detected a sickness and you still brought them on? You didn't think about whether we would get it or... There seems to be very little yeah. 
communication and I think that they just trusted that because there are different species they won't be able to get it but also I'm unsure of how he detected it to begin with because he doesn't know their bodies like imagine if the only image you have of a human person yeah is a person with lung cancer yeah then you don't know if that is healthy or not I would imagine if you're a doctor, as Phlox is, and they're humanoid, so there's going to be some similarities in the biological structure. Yeah, but you don't know what state... No, because... No. No, 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 no. No. Because... <laughs> because... Yeah. Vulcans have their heart where we have our liver, or something like that. So that is bullshit. Yeah, but let's... No. But I think, yeah, okay, maybe they're in different places. But if you can tell an organ from an organ, and therefore I think he would be in a position to tell that an organ maybe doesn't look as healthy as it should do, or if there's a tumor Yeah, but this, this illness is genetic, so you don't know their genome. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, I'm willing to give Fox benefit of the doubt. I'm saying he's a very good doctor and scientist. Yeah, he's a very good doctor. That's all it is. He's a great doctor, can cure cancer with just one shot. I disagree with how he treats his own pets and animals. They seem to be very small cages in the beginning of the episode that he's keeping them in. But I mean, there's just a, a certain amount of space. Just don't take them on board. But I did like the variations and the little quirks that they had. Yeah. Okay, so one last thing. Well, two, two things. One is because I'm picky and... I think words matter, and when they're on the planet and they're talking about the sickness, they're like, yeah, the rate of infection is one out of three. So a third of the population is sick. But they call it epidemic. Bitch, that is a pandemic. Because it's in the whole world. An epidemic is controlled to a certain area. Pandemic is global. So they have a pandemic. Speak properly. Okay, that is one thing. No no need for you to comment. Just, it's annoying. Because we just went through one, so we know the meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing is, at the end, when Flox and Cutler are friends already, like just friends, he gets friend-zoned. And when he's calling Cutler on the communicator on the ship, he's like, click Crewman Cutler, because she's not even an ensign. Flocks to Crewman Cutler, and then she comes back. And I thought, how do communicators work? Is it just a whole white sheep call? Like, hey, Cutler, answer me. And then she goes. And then once she answers, do the communication just happen between those two ports? Or is it still like a sheep white communication? Like, how do those work? I need to know the ins and outs of the communicators. Because obviously, whenever Archer or any other captain, well, not any other, but at least Archer and Kirk, when they're out and about and they're called from the bridge, it's like, bridge to Kirk. And it always happens where he is. So I have to assume that it's sounding everywhere on the ship. Yeah. In every room. Yeah. In every bedroom. In every toilet. Like, just imagine you're shitting after a hard day's work. And it's like, bridge to Kirk. And you're like, fucking hell! Yeah, so listeners, basically, if you wanted to hear about this specific episode, I think uh, you can skip forward maybe 15, 20 minutes. But if you want to hear us have an in-depth discussion about how communicators work on Star Trek Enterprise, 
<laughs> buckle up. <laughs> um, I I had a similar question. Uh, Not I, just, a, I don't understand. The, the computer is clearly able to listen to them and direct their call to that person's cabin or wherever that person happens. Some somehow maybe the computer has GPS and knows where that person is <laughs> as well because. We saw in, was it in, I don't know if, it, it was the episode with the, with the Nausicans and the raid and Phlox is with the people in the cafeteria and Archer calls him and Phlox just goes over to the communicator on the wall. So either yeah. the computer knows where the doctor is or any individual person is and redirects or Archer's call goes to the entire ship, to every single communicator on this ship and he has to wait for the right person to pick up which doesn't seem very efficient. So either everybody knows that Flux was wanted to speak to Cutler <laughs> or it just redirected him because he just presses. It's the same button he presses. He's not dialing in. Yeah, exactly. Also, I noticed I always like how when we see someone get called via communicator, they have to walk over to the communicator to answer it. But when we see someone call someone else, it's immediate. They always are ready to answer immediately. They're just sitting by the community. Yeah. <laughs> they were waiting for the call. Like I want one moment where we see Archer call Flox and there's a five second delay while Flox wipes his arse or finishes his mouth full. No, yeah, <laughs> or think... has to walk over to the communicator. Yeah, I think we should get a scene on the toilet <laughs> where when someone is shitting who who and taking their sweet time who, who do you who do you not care about seeing shitting or like i mean <laughs> i don't like do you, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we don't want to see do we want to see trip on the toilet i don't think so no no reed i think reed would be the perfect or oh i have the perfect idea okay hear me out Remember Nakoka bitch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I know where you're going with this. I think... I think he should be shitting. Yeah. <laughs> and he should get the call. Yeah. Bridge to Nakoka bitch. Can you come up here? And he looks at it. Yeah. Finishes very slowly. And then answers. And said, Go to hell! And that's the episode. I think that would be amazing. But also, because we discussed before how it's a bit of a pain that they have to go all the way over to the wall to answer when we clearly see them use the walkie-talkie ones on the planet. And in the last episode with the alien boarding, Archer calls Fox using the handheld one. I think it's just in case you're not close to a wall with a communicator in it. Yeah, but I get that. But also, surely it should be a case of Oh, in case you forgot your handheld one, there is going to be one on the wall if you need it. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, that would make more sense. So why would they? <laughs> yeah, so that was the thing that, I like, in this episode, I, I mean, I've realized it before. Like, I, oh, that's weird, you know, how it works. But in this episode, because she answers so quickly, it's like, are you next to the phone? Maybe she is. Maybe she's just waiting for him. I think how, how she got her handheld device when she left sickbay. And she was like, get ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready. She's He's going to call you. Yeah. So she was waiting by the communicator. Also, do the handheld communicators go to another handheld communicator or do they go to the wall? Well, I don't know because I think the only person I've seen use a handheld one is Archer. So if Archer calls, does he connect to Medbay? Maybe there is only one handheld communicator on the ship 
And so <laughs> they they save it for planetary missions in case it gets lost. Yeah. And then they maybe in emergency situations, the captain is allowed to take it out of its little locker. Yeah, invasions, planet excursions. Yeah, I think. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Where otherwise it's all all warp. Yeah. And then also, kind of linked to the communicator. Obviously, touching on a point that I made last week or two weeks ago. The we see flocks and Hoshi communicating in a different language. So presumably they've just turned their translators off. Or yeah, we need a Star Trek specialist to come to us. Hopefully. Like, you're invited. If you know anything about Star Trek, you're invited to the podcast. Please explain to us how translators work and how communicators in the ship work. Because we know the handheld ones. They open it and maybe they have a code for the communicator they want to contact. Yeah. That would make more sense. But the communicators on the wall, they only have one button. So that don't make sense. Do we want headcanon answers or do we want actual authentic explanations honestly at this point i'll take anything okay okay as long as it makes sense just bring it on i'm just checking my notes to see i'm done with mine so okay i just one when asked that the vlakins they mentioned that they have been visited by other species with warp technology and they they mentioned them which was a nice little nod because they are the oh yeah the meklexa who i don't think i've heard of or encountered before and the Ferengi, who I have encountered before, but I don't think you will have. I have. Oh, have you? Okay. It's the big, the, the big ears. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I enjoyed that little okay, nod. Okay, so do you I'm... have anything else to say? Sorry, no, I'll let you do your... Out- okay, you... okay, 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 do your... I don't have anything else to say. I'm not going to do my outro because you're going to interrupt me. I'm so not, just I'm fucking not say interrupt. what you have to say. The final thing just about the actual main plot is... Again, I think we'll both be agreed that obviously Archer made the, the correct choice by not giving them warp technology. I liked how T'Pol and Archer had that discussion about how, oh yeah, we, we could give them technology, but they still don't have the knowledge or the experience to actually use that technology. I agree. So this episode is also a take on, we agree with T'Pol yeah. in our spreadsheet. So yeah, I think they're my final thoughts. Really enjoyed this episode. Definitely my favorite star trek enterprise episode well thank you for joining us on this week's episode of dear doctor (laughs) uh next week we have sleeping dogs so hope you enjoy it and we'll be back next week you can follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at pod me up scotty thank you so much bye 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 scotty come in Beam us up home.